Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene and Lori. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode, and we're so excited you're here. And we've got a treat for you today because we sat down with Joshua Broom. He is a pastor that was once heavily involved in the adult film industry, and he was restored out of that life of sin, and God has done a transformation in his life. And we sat down with him to hear his testimony and his story of being called from a man that was feeling so lost in sin and lost in this lifestyle that he'd gotten himself in to being called to serve God in full-time ministry. And I think his story is going to just really impact you and give you hope for the prodigal that you're praying for. Well, Joshua, thank you for being with us today. And we're appreciative of you spending the time um, just sharing your story and um, how you have found hope through your journey with Jesus and offering also to our listeners um, the hope that they can have for their prodigals or for their children or for their spouses, whoever it is in their life that they're praying for. And so we're happy that you're with us today. Yeah, I'm absolutely glad to be here. I just can tell you right now that you're going to enjoy this testimony and it is going to touch you, but I think you're going to want to use it to share it with others because it is so going to be so practical and so important for hearing what he had victory in and for that, regardless of any of our circumstances in our marriage, in our life, while our husbands or wives or children are in a difficult situation, God is the answer and he is the redeemer and nothing is impossible with God. And that's what we want to try to emphasize today. Well, Joshua, take us back a little bit and tell us um, a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so I was born in a really small town in South Carolina, um, Pageland, South Carolina. So self-proclaimed watermelon capital of the world. <laughs> um, felt like the there's a huge uh, parade, uh, watermelon eating contest, seed spitting contest. You know, trying to catch a grease pig, all that good stuff. Um, but that that's where I grew up. And my mom had me when she was 16 and, um, you know, I, I grew up at my grandmother's. So my father was in proximity of where I lived. Um, just being a 16 year old, um, they decided, you know, didn't move in together, um, didn't continue to be in a relationship, anything like that. So I, you know, was, was born into my grandmother's house, uh, a busy house. So it was um, my mom. Uh, and she had a sister and two brothers and my grandparents. So busy house, small, small town. And um, in that small town, as I got older, what was somewhat difficult for me was as I became more aware of what was going on, just my family dynamic being a little bit different than uh, a lot of the kids that I went to school with, that um, my dad, he lived in the same town. So it being a very small town, like I would literally see him in the grocery store or the drugstore or, or wherever we might be. And just seeing him and us not having a relationship, that was difficult to process. And then as I became more aware of myself and, and more so in, in, in retrospect, um, I'm very high achiever, like very high achiever personality. So 
for me, I, I saw this thing that I didn't have and I felt this need that I wanted. And I started to believe I needed to validate myself. I needed to prove um, my worth because I felt like, well, if I don't have the dad that everyone else has in my circle, uh, maybe there's something inadequate about me. Maybe there's something incomplete or wrong with me. So I acted out in a way and the way that I acted out my, um, you know, my, my desire to be accepted was through achievement. So I, I had to be the best in sports. I had to be the best regarding scholastics. I had to be, you know, the, I, I wanted to get the girl that no one else could get. I wanted to, you know, score the most points, hit the most home runs, so on and so on. And in those moments, when I would receive those awards or obtain that achievement, it would feel great for a moment, but whatever goes up must come down. And, and it would leave me still um, questioning, doubting, and desiring more. And that behavior took me through um, middle school, high school. In high school, I started modeling and acting. And that became the next thing where, you know, if, if I would get a job, um, you know, if I would get a photo shoot or, or land a role or something like that, I would feel validated. But at the same time, I was comparing myself to the to my peers and some were more successful than me. And I would ask myself, like, you know, what's what's wrong with me? You know, why am I not good enough? And and that behavior carried on to me in college and, you know, very, very promiscuous in college, um, very lost, um, just kind of sought approval, can just continue to wear this this mask of um I didn't know who I was. I just knew I wanted people to like me. Right. Did you have any type of faith growing up like through this? Did you, were you ever exposed to church as a, a child or anything? Yes. Yeah, so um, my grandparents, um, very strong Christians. Um, so I, I went to church um, on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, um, you know, vacation Bible school, um, all that stuff. But it, it, I was there because I was supposed to be there. And I, I think that my wound um, and like, I don't, I don't want to say anything detrimental about the church or the preaching, because honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I do remember, you know, a level of legalism, you know, a, a very Southern Baptist church and, and, yeah. you know, there's some fantastic Southern Baptist churches, but just um, very, um, very strict. So all I remembered was um, do's and don'ts. And I, yeah. and I, I never really, you know, the, the gospel never made its way from my head to my heart. Right. So I knew about God and I believe that God was real and he made me and everything else. Um, I, I was just missing uh, the, the most important aspects of John 14, six. I, I was missing, um, you know, the, the Jesus in the equation, right. but um, yeah. So I, so I grew up, you know, I, I believed that God was real, but that's where it ended. I didn't have a relationship with God. But if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes, because I, I believe that at the time, I believe that being a Christian, mean, it meant that you acknowledged that God was real and you went to church. Like that was what I thought being a Christian meant. Yeah. And um, so I, I, uh, I'm in college and I'm just, I just want to like model and act. Um, I, I went to college to, to try to play basketball and that, that went okay. Not great. Like 
Um, I, I was, you know, I, w- I was pretty good at my high school and on a college level, I wasn't quite good enough. Um, yeah, that happens. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I was just a really good shooter. Um, but like everyone was like bigger, stronger and faster than me. But, uh, you know, I, I just really wanted to express myself through creativity. So for me, it was acting or writing or um, just creating some type of uh content through communication. So that's, that's what I love doing. And in a way that I could do that with a basketball, but it was very different. It's like my passion was, you know, like I would make like rap songs or like create like plays or, or, or write little scripts. Um, you know, I used to like do like fake commercials and stuff for, for my mom, but like, that's, that's what I love to do. And I thought, okay, if this is what I want to do, I'm having some success here. And if I put myself in closer proximity to the to the industry I want to be in, then it'll be easy. So I dropped out of college and moved to Hollywood. And I thought, like, okay, I'm here. Um, You know, now what? And I ended up getting an agent and um, things were going okay. So I I was I was working, you know, I, I, I was doing I was having more success modeling than I was acting, which was frustrating because. Um, like getting modeling gigs always came a little bit easier to me than getting acting gigs um, because but there was just a, there's a lot more that goes to it into it regarding acting. So, um, you know, I I was frustrated and but still like out there to fight like I was doing OK. I, I was making enough money to live. I was, I, you know, I, I was, I had an apartment and then like, just like most people who, who live in Hollywood, you have to, you know, get a secondary job to kind of make ends meet because as good as like modeling and acting is, unless like you're, you're one of, you know, one of the, uh, the, the top tier, it's like, you're not working enough for it to be consistent right. um, financially living in a very expensive place. So I, I got a job at a restaurant and at that restaurant, it was, it was fine. Um, waiting tables there. I was, I was working at a place called Saddle Ranch. So it was a steakhouse that turned into uh, like a bar or whatever at, at 10 o'clock, but just working there. And then it was there where um, three girls came in and they sat down on this table and I thought, you know, I was going to put on the charm and, um, you know, make a big tip and maybe get their number or whatever. And I quickly have this interaction with them where they're asking me, Hey, do you want to get into the acting business? And I was like, Oh, great. Like this is, an opportunity for me. This is, you know, they know someone or uh, maybe they're going to like, they're, they're, they're part of a project or they, they know a director or a casting director or something. And they're like, no, we're talking about pornography. And I was just like, what? <laughs> you had never thought that that could be a possibility from somebody at that point. Absolutely not. It's yeah. like, I mean, I, I had seen this on like a, you know, a, a VHS um, and in a magazine um, it's really important for people to like to understand. It's like many people probably think this It's where, um, I believed it was a fantasy. So that fantasy was tied to not a person, but a product. Yeah. And when I saw this real life person, like inviting me into that space, it was almost like confusing in a way where it's like, you do this for a living. Like you're, you're, that's your career. Um, and I was half intrigued and half afraid, but they asked if like, Hey, would you just meet with our agent? And I said, 
sure, why not? You know, just just see what this is all about. And I go and I'm expecting something weird. I'm expecting, you know, to to go and, and meet someone that's like very strange. As I, you know, I have all these presuppositions based on what I think is going to happen. And I go to this very nice studio that's in the middle of Studio City. It's adjacent to Universal Studios. And I walk down this hallway and in this office, there's this English gentleman and he's got a three, you know, three piece suit on big fat double Windsor tie. Yes. I walk in this office and, you know, not, not what I expecting at all. Um, and in retrospect, you know, very, uh, very manipulative, um, questions just, um, first tell me about like, what's your family like? Um, what are you doing in LA and what do you want to accomplish? And I'm like, I just, well, I grew up with my mom um, and I'm, I'm out here trying to act. And, you know, I, I guess what I want to accomplish is I, I guess I want to be famous or, you know, make a living doing acting. Yeah. And he says, okay, well, um, they're, they're not a lot of good looking guys in this industry. And the industry is shifting to where they're parroting movies and they're making these bigger budget films where they're, they're script um, there's, you know, the actual script and there's like multiple day movies and all this stuff. And, um, you having acting ability and you being a good looking guy, um, I, I think you could be very successful. And I think that, you know, you could be famous and you can make a lot of money and you travel the world. And, um, what I hear him saying is, um, essentially offering me a counterfeit version of the dream I actually had. Right. And, I think it just in retrospect, just really important, you know, just to, when you, when you say yes to things that you shouldn't, if, if you can dig back and, you know, that, you know, we can get into this a little bit later, but just um, part of processing your, your wounds so that they can transform into scars. Um, so they're, they're not hurting you. It's something you're learning from. Yeah. Um, why do you say yes? Yeah. So like understanding, like, why did you say yes to that? And my yes came from a lack of self-awareness, um, a lack of identity, because I just wanted to be liked. Right. I, I didn't think very highly of myself. And I thought in that moment, like, wow, maybe this is my shot. Yeah, this maybe is you can achieve finally Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, for me, it's like, even though I, I you know, I, I got a few lead roles in some like you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's top tier films that, you know, like Tom Cruise and, and, and people like that are in. And then there's like B films that you might see like on cable. And then there's like these C films where like you're holding your own mic, you know? So I start, <laughs> I, I started a few of those. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I was doing okay, but I just truly believe like, maybe I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not good enough for that. You know, at this point, I was, uh, I think, 22 or 23 years old. So I'd been, you know, acting for 10 years. And I thought, man, a lot of people around me, they've already gotten their break. Um, you know, in, in the modeling industry, I, I still had, you know, a good five years or so that I could have, you know, kept pushing on because um, I, I did a I did a lot of runway in contrast to print. So someone's um, someone's lo like longevity in print is much longer than, than runway. But, um, I was just like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my shot. 
and um, everything in my body, in my gut said, this is a terrible idea. Um, I, I love that, you know, you, when, when we met, you, you called me Joshua because uh, anyone that asked me, it's like, you know, do, like, do you go by Josh or Joshua? Um, you know, there's people in my life that call me Josh, but if anyone asked me, I always say Joshua, because if, if I didn't, I feel like my mom would pop out of somewhere and just like crack me in the back of the head. <laughs> so, um, just, just having that mentality, it's just, I knew that my mom would not be pleased that yeah. I did that. I knew that it was wrong. I knew it was not a good idea. But my desire to be wanted and my desire to accomplish something that had meaning, it kind of superseded that because I didn't, I didn't really have, uh, I didn't, ha- I wasn't rooted in a way that allowed me to respond. Instead, I reacted. That's so important what you're saying, because so many people have, like in our situation, spouses that have gone off and had an affair or they've gotten involved in addictions. And you think, how could they say yes to those sins? How can they say yes to that temptation? But it's just so sly. Like it was one question from a group of girls that got you going down this pathway where you just made little compromises saying, well, I'll try it. You know, how bad could this be? It hurts. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and that's kind of where it started where I said, you know, I said, sure. Like he, he asked, he's like, would, you know, would you be open to do one film? And I said, yes. And I walked on set and, um, I signed some paperwork that said like, you know, they said, Hey, this is how you get paid. I signed this paperwork. Um, and someone walked up to me and said, Hey, um, here's this blue pill. Uh, take this if you want. Um, don't take it if you don't. It's in your hand. It's yours. Whatever you want to do. We need you in 30 minutes. And um, I, I went to the bathroom and I was just like looking at myself and it's like I had, you know, they'd pick me up in a town car to like bring me to set and just like, OK, like, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. you know, call, call my mom and tell tell her like, I, I you know, it's like I'm at a sleepover that I changed my mind. You know, it's like yeah. um, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. Um, and it just like, I felt like my compromise had trapped me into something I didn't want to do. And for some reason, I, I, I feel like I lost my consent. I felt like I lost my ability to say no. And, um, my, my lack of willingness to push back against what I knew that I shouldn't do, um, dissipated. And, you know, I, I walked into, um, onto set into these lights. And I, I did that scene and I, and I went home with a check and I felt dirty and I felt like it was nothing like I thought it would be. Um, I felt exposed. Um, you know, there's, you know, multiple cameras there. There's 20 or there are 20 or so people on set. Um, the director's telling you what to do. It's a lot of people think about like pornography think it's like this fantasy with two people and this there's there's intimacy and connection and and all this stuff but in reality it's it's um it's it's prostitution and you're 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 just this person that's being told what to do in front of an audience of people um and it was just like humiliating in a way that i just really like it's it's hard to it's hard to explain just like felt so exposed. Did you call the, uh, the producer up and quit your job that day and say never again? I didn't. 
I didn't. Um, so I, I, I went home and I was like, I'm never going to tell anyone this, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to do it again. And I thought, okay, like it won't be a big deal. I won't, I won't do it again. Um, I, I hated it. Uh, so I'll just pretend like it never happened. And then very quickly that, you know, that scene goes on a very popular website and becomes very popular very quickly. And I'm getting a phone call from my mainstream agent saying, um, your name's tied to this pornographic production. And that's a violation of our contract of, you know, your, your level of conduct. So we can't be associated with that. We're going to have to let you go. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And I was, I was kind of seeing someone that, that was at that restaurant. And I told her about that and very quickly, you know, she, she gave me the boot and she was kind of the nucleus of a lot of my friends. Um, she had been there a little bit longer at that restaurant. She was a very respected, um, dancer. So she, she taught hip hop and had been in, you know, a few music videos and, um, like, like very respected. And, um, so all of a sudden, like I was this bad guy. So I, I felt ashamed, you know, very like Genesis two to Genesis three. It's like, I felt, I felt ashamed. So I hid, um, and I, and I tried to cover up, um, with, you know, excuses and lies. And, um, so I ended up quitting that job. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then the worst thing happened was like my mom called and she's like, I heard through the grapevine that you had, you, you were on this website. Is this true? And I have this humiliating conversation with my mom where it's like, I, you know, I, I'm going to do a lot of things, but I'm not going to lie to my mama's face, you know? So I, I tell her what I did and she was like, well, I love you, but you're a lot better than that. And that never changed. She, she's never changed her tune in that way. But so that happens. And then I'm like, I think like for me, it's like with, with a lot of people, you, you make this huge mistake and now what? Right. So I've made this huge mistake. My, my life had changed astronomically. It's like I was there to model an act and now that was off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd been fired by a very reputable agent um, and this content was out there. I didn't have a, a job to make um, in any like, like pretty much my ability to gain any kind of like monetary means was, was gone. And then right on cue, my phone rings and it's that agent. Mm -hmm. And he's like, um, everything went great. Uh, I'd love to sign you to a contract. And I kind of took a look at my life very quickly. And I believed, you know, I've, I've ruined my future. Mm -hmm. So what, what else could I do? And I, I said, yes, again. And that one film turned into six years of me being in the industry and did over a thousand films, um, nominated for 18 different awards, traveled the world, um, made over a million dollars like doing this. And I say all those things not to not to toot my own horn to brag, but um, I was very successful in that industry from, you know, outside looking in and, you know, I, I, I'm someone like very achievement driven. So, you know, look, looking at data, once I eclipsed a million dollars, 
I'll be happy. Once I go on a private tour at the Louvre, I'll be happy. Um, Once I win performer of the year, then I'll be happy. And I got nominated for that three years in a row. And then in 2012, I won that award for best, best male star or whatever. And um, I thought that was the missing link. Mm -hmm. And when I won that, I kind of had all this, you know, I had all this stuff that I said, if I have this, I'll be happy. If I have that, I'll be happy. And then when I found out I won that award, my world crumbled because it didn't work. I had everything I thought that would make me happy. And I went from, I never really made it to this peak of happiness, but I I had all this stuff Mm -hmm. and I just crumbled. And I went very quickly from feeling depressed to being um, seriously suicidal. Let me ask you a question about those six years, though. You were suicidal at that point. During those six years, did you struggle with the fact of like, I'm too far into this to get out? I There's no hope. Where will I work? Or were, was there a part of you that was like, this will be fine. I'm just selling my soul and it's, it'll be fine. Did you feel like you were kind of struggling with a foot in both worlds through that time? Um, yeah. I mean, it was weird because I, I didn't really fit in because, um, I, I, I've never really loved to party. Um, never in like, never really did drugs. Like I did drugs here, like probably five times in my life, but like being into like the drug scene or being into the bar scene or, or clubs, because unless I was being paid to be somewhere, I didn't do it. So like there would be clubs that would bring me out to, you know, say that, that I was there. Um, I was in VIP. And if you, you know, buy a bottle then and, and, and get a table, you can go hang out with this person and I would be paid to be there. But in, unless I was being paid to be somewhere, I was at home, um, didn't have any desire to, to be part of that, like that scene in a way. So like that, like left me somewhat like ostracized. It's like, yeah you know, I, I, I knew everyone and I was friends with everyone and everyone like respected me because of my success and my work ethic and things like that. But, um, what was never like someone that was like in a lot of like intimate circles with friends. Um, I dated people in the industry, but, um, I think that was probably more traumatizing than anything else because being in a monogamous relationship, when you have sex with other people for a living, um, but very detrimental on your, on your mental and emotional health because you're, you're literally, you're, you're telling yourself a lie that, you know, that's not true. Um, and you're, and you're living this, um, you know, this you're living in this plausible reality created by lies, fueled by lies and not even your name is real because you, everyone goes by a pseudonym Mm -hmm. and it's this level of detachment where Joshua Broom really didn't exist. And this person that, you know, my stage name, like that person took over and, um, to a, to a degree, like that was, you know, it, where I got my haircut, the gym that I went to, um, where I picked up takeout the most often everyone called me by my stage name, because at that point in my career, I was, you know, like very well known. And if I allowed it to, if I allowed people to call me that and didn't correct them, um, that's, that's just what people would know me as. So like it, at one point, like Joshua just stopped existing. So it was a, it was a process of, um, detachment. Then also, I think 
anyone that lives in sin, you have a really hard time facing people who truly know you. Yep. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of accountability because yeah. um, I couldn't look my mom in the eyes and live the way I was living. So I told myself the lie that, well, I can't contribute to her as a son. And she's probably like, you know, really ashamed of me anyway. Um, I, I, I was like, I can't be a good brother to my little brother. Um, well, what kind of friend can I be to these people that were actually my friends that I grew up with? And I, re- I removed myself from yeah. those situations. I stopped answering, you know, text messages and calls from my mom because um, the reality was I couldn't deal with the truth that she loved me enough to tell me what I was doing was wrong. Yeah. The shame you were dealing with the shame. Yeah. And, and, and through, I think like uh, more often than not, if anyone's living a life of shame, um, they're living in this level of deflection and yeah. you, you're not willing to, to accept the consequences. Mm-hmm. And in, in my, in my, um, in my experience, I really believed that I was too far gone. Yeah. I really believe there's no chance that I would ever be married. There's no chance I would ever be a father. There's no chance anyone would ever take me seriously. I, I didn't think there's no chance that I would be able to contribute in any capacity. Um, I didn't have the capability of being creative. And within that industry, that's that's the that's the same for a lot of people in the industry. They believe that there is nothing else. Once you do that, you have this scarlet letter and that is your life. So you're going to do, you're going to perform in that industry as an actor or actress until you no longer can, or you're too old. And then you're going to produce or direct or um, do something in some capacity associated with that, that industry, because that's the only value that you have. You believe that you're good for selling sex and that's it. I think that's the lie that Satan wants us all to believe, regardless of the industry or regardless of the situation, that when we compromise and enter into sin and enter into an agreement with the enemy to say, I'm going to choose this path, whatever that is, whether it's an affair or whether it's stealing from the company you work for, whatever it is that we, Satan wants us to believe there's no hope. You, you have no future. You have to stay bound in this life. And yeah. I think from, like you said, from the outside, you know, your loved ones are looking at you thinking they're so much happier now, you know, look how good he's doing. He's winning awards and he's making money and he's traveling the world. And he has this superstar life. And, you know, we can look at our prodigals that way and say, look at, um, you know, how happy they are. They have a big house now and they're dating this other person and they're so happy or they have this executive job, but we never truly know what somebody's dealing with on the inside because you were, you know, essentially unhappy on the inside and lonely and isolated. It sounds like. No, hundred percent. I was miserable. Yeah, I was was miserable. And, and that, um, that was true throughout my time in the industry. And, and there were times where I tried to get myself to believe that I was happy. Um, I, I dated someone for a while and, um, that relationship, you know, there, there were like moments of happiness where like, like if, if it was something that, that we were doing like out, you know, like going on a vacation or like things like that. But the reality was, um, it, 
it was it was less of uh, a real relationship and more of you know two people who were trapped in brokenness and trying to find normality together because th- that that was the thing that brought me you know glimpse glimpses of happiness is anything that resembled normality yeah um uh it, it, it was like a strange thing like within the industry if you knew someone's real name that meant that like you were close to them as as strange as that sounds mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i i like after i won that award every time i worked it's like i was seriously contemplating like I, I wanted to die and I didn't have a great relationship with God, but I was like, you know, God, if you're, if you're out there, um, man, my life sucks. And I would just love for it to end. I think that all the time you were going through this and all the time you felt that Holy spirit conviction and sadness and shame that the Lord was answering your mom and your family members. prayers that were even though you never you you disconnected from them i can guarantee that they never stopped praying for you oh yeah i know i know that your testimony i want everyone to understand and think that regardless of what you see your spouse doing at that moment your your uh, son or daughter or any loved one or a best friend never never stop praying because even if they're you think they're happy and everything is so going on perfect you have no idea what they are going through emotionally mentally and and how god can use their prayers to have you have the now the end of the story is such an amazing miracle is because God never stopped being there and overseeing you. He he allowed you to do your choice because you refused him. But look at what you just said, that that you cried out to God and said, oh, you know, here I am, you know, what am I, what am I supposed to do? You know, and yeah. I want our people to, to understand that that happened, I believe, so much due to other loved ones that never gave up on you, even though they didn't talk to you. And if they get to see you, yeah. they never gave up on God and God bringing you back and yeah. coming to your senses. Oh, hundred percent. Right and like, wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like praying, like intercessory prayers, like for people, like, absolutely. Um, I, I got a really cool um, kind of tie into that actually, but absolutely. My family was praying for me. The, the way that God started working um, on me and in me was that one day I was going like I made a plan like, OK, you know, I, I had worked that I had filmed a scene and I was going to make a plan to take my life. And I was like, for some reason, it made sense to me. It's like, I got to go deposit this check before I do that. <laughs> and and um, I go to this bank. And I go to deposit this check. And normally I would either put it in the Dropbox or the ATM because there was a memo on my check that would say what it was for. So it would say a title of the movie. So it would be obscene. So I didn't want to hand that to a to a bank teller. So but this day there wasn't an option and I had to face the music. So I had to face this teller and I slide the check across the counter and, you know, we, we, we do the transaction. She gives me a receipt and I go to walk away. And then um, she locks eyes with me and says, Joshua, 
are you okay? Mm-hmm. Joshua, is there something I can do for you? And um, it had been over a year since I had heard my name. And when she said my name, it just like, it rocked me and it just snapped me out of this fog. And what I love, like Joshua means God saves, but, and and I, and I hear this and just like really start thinking it's like, man, um, because like the reality is I wasn't responding to my mom, but that didn't stop her from texting me. And that didn't, I didn't, I didn't stop her from calling me. She never stopped. Um, that's, that's faithfulness. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, um, so like, that was what I was thinking. I was like, man, um, my mom at 16, like, um, went through so much, um, so many sacrifices to give me the life that I had, um, me and my brother, um, just the best, just my mom's just the absolute best. And it's like, how could I withhold the, the, just the, all she wants to know that is, I'm okay. Right. Like, how could I like withhold that from her? Mm-hmm. And I go home and I call her and cry. And, um, and then we get off the phone and I'm, I'm a mess and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm just like, you know, who is this person that I'm looking at? It's like, I, I have no idea who, who I am. And I decide to pick up the phone and I, call my agent. I quit. You know, I call all these people. I quit, I quit, I quit. And I call my PR person and put out a press release that, you know, I, I quit, I retired and I go back home. And, um, unfortunately I, I chose to try to cover up what I did. So literally I, I covered up, you know, I had a tattoo on my arm. I got covered up with another tattoo. So it would, you know, I, it wouldn't look the same, um, deleted my social media, um, just tried to uh, try again, tried to pretend, okay, I can just cover up this stuff that I did. And the reality is, you know, I, I done, you know, a thousand films and from the outside looking in, like I was the most, you know, famous guy, like in the world of pornography at that time in 2012, 2013. And, um, I tried to, you know, I got a job at a gym and very quickly, aren't you that person? Like, aren't you that guy? Aren't you that guy? And then, you know, it would, word would travel and I just couldn't get away from it, but I tried my best. I would lie until I got found out. And I did that for two years. Um, and people very kindly gave me opportunities where like, I could have been fired from, you know, employment because I was dishonest because I was, you know, withholding information, um, especially cause I'm, I'm working, you know, one-on-one in close proximity with people. Um, it's something that, you know, that, that, that should have told them. But I was just so ashamed. I just didn't want to deal with it. Your shame followed you back to South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm, uh, and then I, then I end up. Um, but I, but in the process of that, I end up like working my way up in the gym. It's, it's like, um, I, I just the work ethic that my mom and my family like, you know, instilled in me. It's just like whatever I'm doing, I'm like the only thing I know is to, to do it with everything I got, you know, for good or for bad, I'm all in and, um, you know, worked my way up in that industry and found myself in management and within that gym, um, and well, within another gym. So I worked at a gym for a a little over a year and then had an opportunity to, um, step into a management position at another gym in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, at that gym, 
this girl walks in and you know she's she's gorgeous and i ask her out on a date and she says no <laughs> and then um i was like gosh and then she's like well i guess we could go for a run and i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> i don't i like to lift weights and i like to sprint um i don't want to run for a long time but i will <laughs> i will do that <laughs> i will do it and we meet to go on this run and we're going to run in a park and um I get there a little bit early and I'm waiting for her to get there. And I just have this lump in my throat and it's like, almost like I can hear my mom in my head where it's like, don't you dare lie to that girl. And I was just like, man, I, because I, I'd hurt a lot of people. I'd hurt a lot of people because of me lying or me um, not showing up, not doing what I said. Um, just, just very broken. And, um, I just couldn't do that to her for some reason. I just like, couldn't do that to her. So before our run really started, I said, Hey, I just want to tell you something. Um, I, I, I did a little bit of pornography and she said, excuse me. And I was like, and I was about to do what I've done, like to make myself better like make myself feel better in the past, um, told a half truth, yeah. you know, told enough truth to, to take the, to take the weight off of me, but not really suffer the full consequence. So in the, in that moment, I'm just like, no, you know, man up, like tell the truth. And it was like, I blacked out. I was like, here's every bad thing I've ever done in my entire life. You know, it's like, you know, and, and told her everything. And then, how did that go over? Uh, she like looked at me like deer in the headlights. Like I did not expect that. And, and then she's quiet for a few seconds. And then she said, well, I want you to know that a person is not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. I hope that our talk with Joshua has um, been a blessing to you. And we know that we were sharing so much and hearing so much of his story that we wanted to do two episodes with him. So the next episode that concludes our talk with Joshua is available now. So you can go listen to episode 135 and hear the rest of our talk with him and how God has moved in his life and what he's been doing since his transformation. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.